This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The death toll from a Russian missile strike on an apartment building in Dnipro, a Ukrainian city, is now 29, according to local officials. Rescue attempts have been underway since the attack on Saturday. In response to it, world leaders have pledged further support for the country. Jens Stolenberg, the secretary-general of NATO, said on Sunday that Western countries would send more heavy weapons. The German Ministry of Defense said on Twitter that Russian leaders and forces responsible for, quote, war crimes in Ukraine must be held accountable. The Republican chairman of America's House Oversight Committee, the investigative body of the House of Representatives, demanded to see visitor logs for President Joe Biden's home in Delaware. On January 9th, news broke that classified documents had been found there in November. More were discovered this week. Republicans are accusing Democrats, who have insisted that Donald Trump should be prosecuted for mishandling sensitive papers, of hypocrisy. Peru declared a state of emergency in Lima, the capital, and three other regions after more than 40 people were killed during demonstrations against Dina Boluarte, the president. The country has seen violent unrest, its worst in two decades, since Pedro Castillo was removed from the presidency by Congress and arrested on December 7th for alleged corruption. Protesters are demanding his release and Ms. Boluarte's resignation. At least 60 people were killed when an airplane crashed near Pokhara, a town in central Nepal. The flight, managed by Yeti Airlines, a Nepalese company, had 68 passengers and four crew members. It is thought to be the country's deadliest air crash since 1992. The EU has banned Nepali Airlines from its airspace since 2013 because of safety concerns. Punjab, the most populous state in Pakistan, dissolved its legislature on the advice of its chief minister, an ally to the former prime minister Imran Khan. This looks like part of a scheme to trigger early national elections. Mr. Khan has been trying to disrupt Pakistani politics and agitating for fresh elections since he was ousted from power in April. Tens of thousands of health workers took to the streets of Madrid, Spain's capital, to protest against cuts to the public health system made by the regional government. Critics of Madrid's government, which is led by the conservative Popular Party, Spain's main political opposition, accuse it of favoring private health providers and cutting resources for public services. China resumed high-speed rail links between the mainland and Hong Kong, which were halted during the pandemic. The country is removing its travel restrictions after scrapping quarantine requirements for inbound travelers on January 8th. It abandoned its zero-COVID policy in early December. The government reported that 60,000 people have died of COVID-19 in hospitals since then. And fact of the day, 1.5 billion, the number of grandparents in the world. There were 0.5 billion in 1960. The ratio of grandparents to children is now higher than ever. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
why Davos is not as silly as it seems. On Monday, more than 2,500 of the world's movers and shakers arrive in Davos for the World Economic Forum. The annual week-long Gabfest in the Swiss Alps returns to regular programming for the first time since the pandemic began. 2022's edition took place in May rather than in January because of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. After a freakishly warm winter, some snow is back at last, as are high-powered globalists, many of whom stayed away last spring. The preoccupations have not changed much. War, COVID-19, this time in China, inflation, and recession. Davos is easy to mock. Pampered insiders pontificate on the fate of billions of less fortunate folk. The panel sessions on fixing globalization, averting a climate catastrophe, or fostering inclusive growth can be excruciating in their blandness. Yet outside the formal events, Davos provides a neutral venue for frank talks between the worlds of politics and business, the global South and North, East and West. In an increasingly fragmented world, such exchanges are valuable. Europe divides the spoils of warm weather. The Eurogroup, the regular informal gathering of the Eurozone's finance ministers, will need an extra chair when it meets in Brussels on Monday. Croatia became its 20th member after adopting the euro on January 1st. The bloc has more good news to celebrate, too. The heat wave after Christmas caused a steep fall in energy prices. That, in turn, means that finance ministers will have to spend a lot less on cutting the energy bills of firms and households. What to do with that windfall? One option is to spend it protecting European businesses from the effects of America's Inflation Reduction Act, a green investment program with troubling protectionist elements. Margareta Vestagar, the EU's competition chief, is championing the idea. Ahead of their meeting, she sent the Eurogroup a letter calling for urgent reforms to the rules governing state aid. Such changes might allow firms tempted by America's subsidies to get money for staying put. If finance ministers agree, that could kick off a transatlantic subsidy race. Britain's Migration Plan Returns to Court The legal dispute over the British government's efforts to deport to Rwanda, quote, irregular migrants, who arrive without visas, sometimes by crossing the English Channel in dinghies, returns to the High Court on Monday. Before Christmas, judges concluded that the deal, agreed with Rwanda's government in April, is unlawful. Asylum Aid, a charity, will seek those judges' permission to launch an appeal. Arguing that the original ruling fails to give people facing deportation their procedural rights. The policy is politically divisive. It delights many of the conservative government's supporters and horrifies its critics. Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, has described it as her, quote, dream and obsession. The government does not mind the controversy. A prolonged fight with do-gooding lawyers in the courts could bolster support for it. Others see a policy that generates headlines but violates migrants' rights without curbing irregular migration. 
Russia reshuffles its command in Ukraine. As Valery Gerasimov, Russia's top general, begins his first full week in command of the invasion of Ukraine, he may wonder if his tenure will prove fleeting. His predecessor, Sergei Sorovkin, lasted just three months. President Vladimir Putin's decision to shuffle the pack was probably political rather than strategic. General Sorovkin, now demoted to be one of General Gerasimov's deputies, is favored by Evgeny Prigozhin, the shadowy head of the Wagner group of mercenaries who have become increasingly influential on the battlefield. Military leaders not aligned with Mr. Prigozhin, such as General Gerasimov, have been lobbying Mr. Putin to put them back in control. Military analysts suspect the new leadership will lay the groundwork for a new offensive. Mr. Putin will expect results. For its part, Ukraine argues the looming threat means it needs more weapons, including tanks, from the West. Its allies will meet to discuss arms deliveries in Germany on Friday. More love on Love Island Beneath its glossy, sun-tanned veneer, Love Island, a British dating show, has a dark side. Filmed constantly while locked in a luxury villa, scantily clad contestants spend weeks without clocks, internet, mobile phones, or privacy. Ten share a bedroom. The aim is to couple up. The viewer's favorite pair win a cash prize, but bullying is rampant. For every contestant who finds fame and fortune, another meets a barrage of abuse on social media. Two past contestants and a former presenter committed suicide. The show thrives on drama. But for its ninth season, which begins on Monday, producers have promised to do more to protect the islanders' mental health. Contestants will receive training on respect. To limit trolling opportunities, they will have to turn off their social media accounts while inside. Previously, these were run by friends and family on the outside. Whether the show's ratings will survive the new protocols will depend on the viewer's appetite for healthy relationships over dysfunctional ones. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which band performed the 1976 hit Play That Funky Music? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Susan Sontag. The only interesting answers are those which destroy the questions. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 